Father, we thank you that you have brought us to this place. God, that you have, have brought us to uh, a church that we can belong to, that you have brought us into your family. God, that, that we can all come here together as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, be with each one of us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would uh, use me as an imperfect instrument to, to speak the words that your people need to hear. In your name I pray, amen. <clears throat> so one of my favorite movies is called Interstellar. And in it, Earth has gotten to a point to where it's like Dust Bowl conditions. And it's getting to the place where life and plants are no longer going to be able to grow and thrive. So humanity has to look for another place to live. They have to look for another planet. And they have a certain list that they're working from in figuring out what the right planet would be. What would be the right place for humans to live on? It needs to have the right mixture of gases in the atmosphere. It needs to have the right soil. It needs to be the right temperature. It has to have enough water. And it doesn't necessarily have to be perfect, but it does have to meet certain minimum requirements. So these astronauts are sent out to find a planet that has the best possible environment for humanity to live on, that meets those certain criteria. Not every planet is right for humans to live on and to thrive, but they know the criteria for determining which one would be. And as Paul is closing this letter to the Thessalonian church, he gives them this list of commands. And we could spend an hour talking about the why and how of each one, which is exactly what we're going to do. Uh, so strap in. <laughs> this isn't a picture of what the gospel is, but it's a picture of the environment in which people come to understand the gospel. It's a picture of a gospel-centered church, centered around the reality that Jesus Christ died and rose again, around the reality that that, that gospel changes everything changes the way that we, we live. It changes the way that we relate to one another. It changes the way that we relate to the world around us. So Paul is starting with the fact that he's writing to believers. And so he's giving them sort of a, a list of practical next steps for them to be a church culture that is right to produce gospel fruit. Maybe you've been in a church where they preach that church is a family, but you see broken relationships all around. It's clear that something's missing. Something's not quite right. There's a, a hypocrisy going on there. What they're teaching is 100% true, but it doesn't look like they're hearing it. And we see an example of, of Paul confronting hypocrisy like this in Galatians 2. Uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, had been telling Gentiles that they didn't have to live under the law of Moses now that they were Christians. However, once a certain group of Jews came, he changed the message because he was afraid of them. So Paul confronts him. Paul says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? He's saying this doesn't match up. What you're saying and what you're doing are two different things. And that's hurting your congregation. It's hurting the people. They're not seeing what it means to live in step with the truth of the gospel. 
So in giving the Thessalonian church this list, Paul is telling them how to live in step with the truth of the gospel, living out the reality of the kingdom of God here on earth. See, we carry out God's work in us and in our church by creating a gospel culture. So Paul's answering the question, how do we carry out God's work in us and in our church? He starts off, uh, actually, let me read the passage first. So this is 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 22. Paul writes, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek, good, seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So Paul starts off in verse 12 to the first half of, of verse 13, telling them that a gospel culture honors and respects its leaders without idolizing or mistrusting them. He writes, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. He's telling them that, that we don't idolize our leaders. We don't put them in a place that, that they don't deserve to be. We don't place them on a pedestal. We don't honor them because of who they are or what they've done. And he says, we also don't mistrust them. We don't look at them because they're leaders and, and think, well, there's something fishy there. That, that person, I can't trust them. They've done something that, that I can't trust. He's saying that, that because they're leaders, there's a certain respect and honor that they're due. And respect and honor means that, that you give weight to what someone says or does. Like, for example, think of in the Ten Commandments. It says, honor your father and mother. It doesn't say obey them in all circumstances, but you are to give certain weight because of the relationship that they have, because God has given them to you for a reason. Therefore, there's a certain weight that should be given to what they say and the ways that they direct you. And so Paul is saying here, it's, it's similar with the way that we treat our leaders. We don't idolize them. We still recognize that Christ is the head of the church, that these leaders are serving Christ. They're serving him, that they're serving in a particular role, but they are still under Christ as we are. And he also says we don't distrust our leaders. So we, we do give them a certain honor and a certain value that would be above anyone else's, but, but that we should do that rightly because we respect and honor our leaders for who they are in Christ. Now, this could be pastors, city group leaders, but, but there are many people who, who use leadership abilities in some capacity within the church. And all of these people have been given these abilities, not because they deserve them or that they earn them, but that they're given by God to be used for the church, to be used for, for Christ's bride, to grow people into being more like Christ. And the reason why it's important that they're in Christ is because 
These leaders are in need of the gospel just like anyone else. They need to to live and to understand the truth of the gospel just like everyone else. They are dependent on Christ and on what he's done just like everyone else. And they're worthy of honor and respect because of their role. Because God has gifted them in a certain way to serve a purpose within the church. I mean, for them not to use those gifts would then be disobedient to God. That God has gifted them in a way to to serve and to bring the gospel to the people that they are serving. In any organization, leaders are the ones who set the tone, who are setting others up for success. And in the church, we recognize that a gospel culture starts with leaders who are faithfully advancing God's kingdom. These leaders are using their God-given abilities to see God's will be done on earth. From here, uh, Paul moves into to talking a little bit more about what this culture is. So, in the next set of verses, he talks about how a gospel culture works towards peace. Starting in the second half of verse 13, he writes, Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So he's telling them that, that peace is important to the way that a church functions. That you should not only be at peace with, with your leaders, not seeking quarreling or anything like that, but also being at peace with those around you. And the reason why peace is so important is because peace is the tone of heaven. That's the tone of, of being in the presence of God where good things happen, where good things are done, where, where everyone is at peace with God, reconciled to God, feeling this closeness and this intimacy with God. When that's experienced, it's this peace, safety, security. And so that's what the church is pursuing, trying to make this community a little piece of heaven on earth, trying to make it so that God's will on earth is as it is in heaven. And it's not like the calm before the storm, not seeking short-term solutions or a short-term peace so that you can just feel peace now, but it's, it's a long-term peace, understanding that, that it's going to be a fight and a battle for, for the long term. Because calm before the storm is still unsettling. You still know that everything's going to fall apart or that it's going to blow apart at some point. So you're seeking a peace that, that will last a peace that, that isn't for now, but is, is for later as well. And it's trying to create this environment where good happens and where good things are done, where God's will is done here. And Paul writes that we, we pursue this peace through, through love, through love of God, through, through love of each other, that it's this horizontal and, and vertical love that, horizontal and vertical love that leads us to this peace, that will bring us closer to this tone of peace within the church. Your loving someone also depends on, on where they're at. He's telling you how to, how to accomplish this, how this gets reached. That loving someone isn't just one size fits all, but that it's meeting someone where they're at. The idol need to be rebuked. They need to be admonished. They need to be told that what they're doing is wrong, so that they can fix it, so that they can keep going, so that they can get back on track. 
The faint-hearted, you need to come alongside. They need to be encouraged. They need to be told, yes, you can take one more step. You can keep walking. You can do it. And the weak need to be lifted up and carried. They've fallen down. They, they need to be lifted up, helped to see that they, that they need to keep going and that they can keep going. So the loving thing to do depends on where someone is at. And the right cure also requires the right diagnosis. If you encourage the idle, then they just stay idle. It's, it's not the treatment that they need to fix the condition that they have. It's not going to, it's not going to help them at all. If you rebuke the faint-hearted, they get crushed. They don't take that one more step because they no longer believe that they can. If they've been trying as hard as they can, then they're not going to see. If you come alongside the weak, they'll never get up. They need to be helped. They need to be carried. They don't just need that encouragement. They need, they need more. They need to be carried along to see and to come closer to Christ. And in order to treat a person... In order to find the right cure, you need to know that person. Uh, when I was checked into the ER for my broken leg, the, the nurse that was checking me in started asking me tons of questions about all areas of my body and my life. Now, she wasn't trying to be nosy. She wasn't trying to put together a file on like everything that I had done that she was going to hand into the CIA or something like that. Um, she was trying to understand who I was, understand you know, what my body was like, to try and see what the best cure was going to be, to find the right diagnosis so that I could actually be healed, so that I could actually be fixed. And that's what, that's what we need to do. We need to ask the right questions and sometimes just ask questions at all, to seek to understand, to seek to know how to help someone because we do care, because we want to see them healed, because we want to see them helped. And not just asking those questions, but also actively listening and actually listening. If the nurse had only been half listening and had, you know, missed the, my answers to a few of the questions, I might have gotten the wrong diagnosis. She might not have totally understood what the situation was, and, and I could have ended up worse off than when I came in. But she was listening. She was paying attention because she wanted to see me healed. She wanted to see me get the right cure. And she wanted to see me get the right diagnosis. And as Christians, we can bring the best cure to people that's possible. We can bring the gospel. We can bring the truth that Jesus died and rose again. We can bring them exactly what they need to heal. We can bring exactly what the idol need to be rebuked. We can bring what the faint-hearted need to be encouraged. We can bring what the weak need to be helped. We have the gospel that we can bring. We have the great physician, Jesus, who is able to actually heal all of these wounds, who is able to actually do the work necessary to bring this person back into wholeness. And Paul also writes that, that this is going to be something that takes patience, that we need to patiently treat that person. It can be a long, slow process. I mean, it would be great if no matter what was wrong with us, we just had to hear the right words and then, boom, we'd be, we'd be healed in an instant. 
But that's just not the reality of, of where we are. It takes time to heal. It takes time for us to come back to a place of wholeness. It takes time for all of these things to work their effect. And the thing is, it'll probably also require many different methods for people to heal. The, the idle aren't always the idle. The faint-hearted aren't always the faint-hearted. The weak aren't always the weak. One person could be all of those things at different points. All of us have been all of those things at different points. And that requires new understanding, a new diagnosis, constantly seeking to give the person the right treatment for the place that they're in and for what they need. Paul also writes that we're called to be instigators of peace. It says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and peace. That, that we need to be initiators and instigators of peace. That we need to be the ones who are, are bringing peace. We respond to evil in a totally different way than the world around us. In the world around us, when, when something bad happens to you, you're entitled to do something bad right back. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, to return whatever has been done to you. But we're called to, instead of responding to evil with evil, to respond to evil with good. To stop evil in its tracks. To say that, that this doesn't go farther than me. It's your job to, to stop evil from thriving. To not pour more fuel on the fire, but to stop it in its tracks. Like, if you hear gossip, if you're in a conversation and it starts turning toward gossip, you're not supposed to just stay silent. You're, you're called to shut it down. To say, no, this, we should wait until they're around. Or would you say this if this person was here? We're not called to just stand by, but to be instigators of peace. And it's also your job to see good things done to others in the church. Like if there's a need within the church, if you see a need within the church, we're called to be the ones who act. And maybe if you're not the one to, to start something, uh, think of someone who might be. If you're not able to be the one to, to step into that gap, think of someone who could. And then encourage them, support them, be there for them. Do what you can, but don't let it end with you. Whatever the need is, whatever the, the area that someone needs to be loved is, don't let it just die with you. Like if there's someone who needs assistance getting a ride to church or getting groceries or something like that, if you're able to meet it, then, then go, meet it. But if you're not, then, then try and find somebody who can. Or at least make sure that, that it happens, that this person's needs are, are met. Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to be initiators of these things. And it's your job to also see good things done to people outside of the church. This is probably the safest environment to, to start, but don't let it stop here. This should also be the way that we approach the world around us. Trying to see where there are gaps, seeing where there are needs, and stepping into those. Or trying to find a way that we can help those needs be met. In the first half of this passage, Paul is giving the church practical commands that push them to take responsibility for the culture of their church. He's telling them that it he's telling them what it takes for them to be a church that sees people live out the gospel, to create a gospel culture that God uses to spread hope throughout the community. And that it's not just how we act toward others, 
but also that, that we create a gospel culture by the Holy Spirit working in and through us. In the last part, verses 16 through 22, he writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He, he starts off by telling them three effective ways of delighting in the gospel. And, and these, are, these are effective in that they have an effect on you when you do them. That they actually do work. That these things are, are ways that, that God has put in your life that, that he wants you to be doing. Why? Paul says because it's God's will in Christ Jesus that you do these things. That it's God giving you the strength by the blood of Christ to do these things. That it's not something that, that just if you do them that they're, they're good things in themselves, but it's that God is involved in this process, that God is working through these things. And so the first one, he says, rejoice always. Rejoice in who God is and in what he's done always. Cultivate a joyful disposition. Now, this isn't saying that you need to be the most joyful person in the world all the time, but it does mean that no matter what situation is happening, no matter what's going on around you, that that little spark of joy should never be quenched. That, that you have a good God that you can trust and rely on. That the return of Jesus should constantly give you joy and hope and expectation. That you may not always feel it with the same intensity, but it should always be present. It should always be there. And that we should stop and think about the good things that God has done that that should be a regular part of how we reflect, how we think about the gospel, how we think about who our God is, that we should think about the good things that he has done, the good things that he's given to us, the good things that he will do. Paul also writes that prayer should always be present in your life. He says, pray without ceasing. He says, this, part of this is living with the idea that you are always in the presence of God. And that if you are living your life praising, worshiping, and living in the presence of God, that prayer should then be a constant part of your life. That if you are constantly before God, that there should be constant communication with God. That that should be something that is always present in your life. And I mean, for some of us, that's, it's not always true. And somebody, I heard somebody point out uh, a few years ago, that if you were to take this verse literally, pray without ceasing, it would be really hard to do all of the other things on the list. It would be really hard to live out the things in 1 Thessalonians if you are always on your knees praying. But what this means is that, is that prayer should be a consistent part of our life, a constant part of our life. And not that we should always be praying out loud, but you've got to start somewhere. This could be short prayers on the way to work, just praying, God, I thank you for this day. I pray that you would give me the strength to go through this day and honor and glorify you. Or when you're talking to someone and they, they have something that, that needs prayer, either praying for them right then, praying with them, or just praying as you're walking away, praying in your head, praying silently. But no matter what that, that you're praying, you're, you're following through. You're communicating with God, understanding that God is there, that he's present, 
and that you're able to talk with him wherever. Uh, for me, one of the big things has been, has been trying to cultivate silence, just sitting in the presence of God, taking a moment to stop whatever I'm doing and just sit and be. And this isn't something that's like meditation or like, you know, Buddhist monk or anything like that, but it's, it's amazing how when you slow down, there are so many things that can become clear about God and about what he's doing. For some of us, it means that we actually need to set aside time, making a calendar event to say, 15 minutes a day, I'm going to pray. 15 minutes a day, I'm going to sit in silence. But no matter what, that those are, are consistent parts of our lives because we have a God who, who loves to hear from his children. We have a God who, who wants to communicate with us, who wants to speak to us. Paul also says, that we should be thankful to God all the time. Give thanks in all circumstances. So the praise and thankfulness are related. The, the things that we're, we're praising God for, we're also in a way thanking God for. If we praise God for, for his greatness, for his majesty, we're also thanking God that, that he is like that. When, when we praise God for answering prayers, we're also thanking him for answering those prayers. And, and both are important, but we need to have a perspective of, of how closely both of those things are related. That cultivating an attitude of, of greatness towards God helps us relate to him in a different way. It helps us understand who he is. And, and for some of us, that means that we just need to start writing down things that we're thankful for. Keeping a journal of specific things that he's done in your life. Maybe just sitting down and just powering through and writing down as many as you can think of. Or writing down one or two a day. Or even in your prayers, just making a point to thank God for something new and different every day. It's amazing how long the list is. But you don't really realize it until you start. Also, thank God for specific things that he's done for others. Notice the things that he's doing in other people's lives. Take time to thank God for something, that, something good that he has done for someone else. In the last part of the passage, Paul writes, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. He's telling them, watch for the work of the Holy Spirit and don't resist it. Let God's Holy Spirit work. Let God work. Specifically here, he, he talks about uh, that we need to value prophecy and to do it right. So what had been happening in the Thessalonian church and, and was common apparently through, through other churches was prophecy was less valuable than, say, speaking in tongues. And so prophecy was just cast to the side in favor of, of some of the other spiritual gifts. But Paul is saying, no, don't quench what God is doing. Don't, don't stop the ways that God works. Don't try to push them to the side. Let God work in your community. For some, I mean, if you, if you feel that you have a word that God has given for someone else, use it. Do it. Do it rightly. I feel like God is leading me to tell you this. Does this make sense to you? Does this mean anything to you? And if not then hopefully you've used a word that is encouraging them to some degree. That, that 
even thinking of someone and even giving someone a word is, is beneficial, is something that will encourage them, will build them up. When God puts someone on your heart, do something about it. When someone comes to mind, uh, send them a text, have a phone call, carrier pigeon, something. Just do something. But don't let it stop with that. How encouraging is it to get a text from someone that says, hey, thinking of you, praying for you, how can I be praying for you? But just doing those little things to let God work and to give him space to work. I'd also encourage you, too, to, to read John 16 and, and 1 Corinthians 12. Those are a couple spots where it talks about different ways that the Spirit works and, and different gifts of the Spirit. And just pray that God would show those to you. Pray that God would do them. Pray that, pray that God would illuminate the Scripture for you. Help you see truth in a new and different way. Pray that the Spirit would be at work in your life molding you and conforming you into the image of Christ. Pray that God would do things in the church, that his spirit would be at work encouraging and building up the church. And, and don't limit the ways that you think God can work, but test them against what we know, the ways that we know God works. Paul tells the church that, that they need to test everything and hold fast to what is good. He's saying, you guys know the scripture, you know what is true. So test what's happening around you. Test what you're experiencing against what you know is true. Know the Bible. Know the scriptures. Know the ways that God communicates and works. Know what God is trying to say. And this is where it sort of comes into the, the area of prophecy as well, where it's, it's not, saying, not coming to someone and saying, hey, God told me to tell you this but understanding that, that we're still infallible humans, but that we have been given the inspired word of God, the infallible word of God, that we have something that tells us what is true, that God's spirit is at work and that we shouldn't resist that, but that we also have the scripture. Paul finishes with, with one last command, one last exhortation. He tells them, abstain from every form of evil. Don't toy with the things that don't bring you closer to God. He tells them, don't even, don't even spend your time on it. It's a waste of time. If it's not bringing you closer to Christ, if it's not conforming you to the image of Christ, if it's not helping you bring peace within the body, if it's not helping you bring peace with God, then it's not worth your time. We want our church and our lives to be saturated with the gospel. The gospel affects and changes everything that we are and do. And it starts with a recognition of the role that, that leaders play in creating a gospel culture in a church. Knowing that God has gifted people with the opportunity and ability to lead for his glory and his kingdom. It involves living our lives in support and service of others. And remembering that God has designed the church to build one another up. And that we do all of this by God working in and through us. This week, uh, I'd encourage you to reread this passage and pray and think about a way that you could start doing just one thing from this list. Start today. Uh, this, this is one of those passages that's really only effective if you do it. Pick something. Uh, maybe there's something that I said that stood out to you. 
Or maybe it's something that you thought of while I was just droning on and on. And then give yourself a reminder in a couple months, a couple weeks, and revisit this passage. Find another thing. Find another thing that you can pray about and work on and focus on. Because we want all of these things to be true of our lives. We want our church to be a place of peace and encouragement that bears gospel fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, God, that you have brought us into your family by the blood of Christ. Lord, that you have given us your Holy Spirit to work in and through us for your glory. God, we pray that you would use each one of us to help create a gospel culture here. Lord, let us see the fruit of the gospel. Let us live lives that are clearly affected. Lord, lives that people can look at and say, yes, the gospel is here. These people understand what the gospel is and what it means. In your name I pray, amen.